It's the last Sunday in Joshua. Oh, I hope, I hope you've learned a thing or two, or been reminded of uh, a thing or two. I hope you've been uh, challenged as well as encouraged. And I hope you've been reminded just a little that even way back in the deep, dark recesses of the Old Testament, there are truths that are for us to live by uh, today. My apologies that the last few weeks uh, went a little bit belly up, quite literally for me the first time. And, uh, and then last week, Otty and I had planned that we'd do uh, uh, Joshua 24 together, but that didn't work out. And uh, I know chatting to some of you, the word that Otty brought was, uh, was right for us, so uh, we're all happy about that. So to, to wrap things up then uh, this morning, I'd like us to look at Joshua, the leader that he was, under the heading Joshua used by God. Uh, then this evening, uh, Claire will preach on Joshua chapter 23, which is one of the uh, chapters that we were going to look at together that we missed a week or so uh, ago. And uh, that's entitled Keeping the Promise. God had given them the promised land. What did they need to do to stay there? Could they lose it? What would it be like if they lost it? How could they make sure that didn't happen? Those are the questions for us uh, this evening uh, as part of our worship at Hofbaster 6 tonight. And then chapter 24, of course, you've studied in your small groups that has at the very core of it, its, uh, its, uh, its speech that Joshua is giving, as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. And they're the words that we'll end our service with uh, this morning, a little bit later on. So, here we go this morning. Joshua, used by God. Uh, And incidentally, one other plug, not this Sunday evening, but next Sunday evening, uh, Dave and Linda Pepper will be leading our Digging Deeper, which will will be all about helping us get a, a big picture overview of the Old Testament. Getting into Joshua has raised some questions for us, perhaps some things we haven't thought about for a while. How does it fit with the whole of the Old Testament? How do we find Jesus there in the pages of the Old Testament? Well, come next Sunday, 7 o'clock, for Digging Deeper, when we'll explore those things together. Right, Joshua, used by God this morning. Turn with me, not to the passage that was read a moment ago, but turn with me to Joshua, Joshua chapter 24 and verse 28. It's page 241 if you're using the Bibles in the pew in front of you. And uh, it's the very last uh, uh, paragraph or verses at the end of Joshua chapter 24. Verse 28 reads like this. And Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. It was done. The job was finished. Each person, as was planned, as had been promised, was given their inheritance. They were in this land that God had promised. They had taken the land of milk and honey. It was over. Under Joshua's leadership, they had done it. And if you flick back to Joshua chapter 1, if you, uh, it'll, it'll be on the screen as well, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 6, right at the beginning, we remember these words that were said to John, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why? Because you will lead these people to inherit the land. That's right at the beginning of the book. Now, uh, Joshua 24 verse 28, right at the end of the book, he's done it. 
It's over. The job has been completed. This was Joshua's instruction. It was his brief, his ministry, his role to lead the people to inherit the land. And now it was done. And now at the end of Joshua, we read in verse 28 that he's done it. So what's the very next verse, having achieved what God wanted him to achieve? Well, verse 28 says he's done it. He's run the race. He's fought the fight. So what about verse 29 of Joshua chapter 24? After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. After these things, he died. When you have completed what God has asked you to do, it's time to go. Why stick around? Why stay in all this fallenness and brokenness when the glory of heaven awaits? That's it. I'm here to do what God wants me to do, and when that's done, I'm ready to go. It's the heart of life, isn't it? We are here for God's purpose, and there is nothing greater in life than discovering what God's purpose for you is and living for it at 110%. And when you're done, let's get out of here. The glory of heaven beckons. And so writ large over Joshua's life, for me, are two challenges that come in the form of questions. Am I doing what God wants? And am I ready to go when it's over? Am I doing what God wants and am I ready to go? They're not bad questions to ask all of us. How do you answer them? How do you answer them? Are we doing what God wants? Do we know what it is to be ready to go? Are you confident that when this life comes to an end, the glory of heaven awaits? The biggest angst in life for people is twofold. They don't know why they're here, and they don't know where they're going. If people knew why they were here, and they knew where they were going, this world would be a much, much better place. But people don't. And maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, I'm not sure I know why I'm here. And actually, come to think of it, I try not to dwell on it much, but I don't really know where I'm going either. Or maybe these verses in Joshua are for you. Because the Bible tells us that in Jesus Christ, we can be sure of two things. We can be sure of our purpose here on earth. The Bible says that Jesus came to give us life to the full, life of fulfillment. We can live life as it was intended. And when that's said and done, he takes us home. So Paul would say, for me to live is Christ. Life on this earth is sorted, but to die is gain. So Joshua had it in many ways sussed. He knew what God wanted him to do, and when it was done, he was ready to go. So fittingly, verse 30, they buried him in the land of promise. And then an incredible legacy. Music to the ears of every pastor and spiritual leader. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. What a legacy for this leader. Joshua had, in the words of Paul, thousands of years later, fought the fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. And there can't be anyone here, I don't think, who wouldn't want that for themselves. Is there? when it's all stripped away. I don't think there's anyone here who wouldn't want to know that their life was packed with God's purpose and God's meaning. That satisfaction of a job well done, to get to the end of our days and know that we've hit the mark. 
We fought the fight, finished the race, and above all, we've kept the faith. So how do we do that? How can we learn from Joshua about being used by God and achieving all that's in his heart for us? Well, I want to reflect just very briefly this morning on uh, three things, three perspectives that might help us to think about God's purpose for our own lives. Firstly, Joshua knew God's preparation. We've already noted that Joshua died at the age of 110. How old was Joshua when he crossed the River Jordan? 80. Give Donald a round of applause. Rock on. Uh, yeah, he, he, he was 80 years old, which makes him a lot younger than most of the people going to the Status Quo concert in Ipswich last week. There were extra bouncers helping him up the steps into the Regent. Bless. Bless. He was 80 years old. The 30 years of the book of Joshua are his last 30 years, but they are 30 out of 110. It was in these last days for Joshua that ultimately he fulfilled God's plan for his life. What a poke in the eye for this ageist world that puts people on the shelf, sometimes in cases as young as 50 in the workplace, who feel like it's over. For the first 80 years, God had been preparing Joshua for the last 30. Do you believe it? but it's hard to believe it about ourselves, isn't it? And that's the challenge. God spent a long time preparing Joshua. It was was the same for Moses, of course. Moses lived almost to a similar age before his relationship with God really flourished and he began to understand his true mission. Even the Son of God spent 30 years before the final three. So what was God doing in Joshua for those first 80 years that we know very little about? Well, God was preparing him. God was getting him ready. And before the book of Joshua, we have seven incidents that uh, give us a little window on what was happening in Joshua's life. We haven't got time to go through all of them this morning. But for example, Exodus chapter 17 tells us a little incident in the life of young Joshua. We read that young Joshua was given by Moses the task of choosing an army to go and sort out the Amalekites. This was the deal. Moses says to Joshua, I want you, you to take charge on this one. I want you to get yourself an army together and go take on the Amalekites. I, says Mo- I Moses said, will go up to the mountain and when I lift my hands in prayer, you will win and when I stop praying, you will lose. And if you read Exodus chapter 17, that's exactly what happened. As long as Moses had his hands in, his, in the air, to, in God, to prayer, they were winning down in the valley. But as Moses' arms got tired and he began to get distracted, they begin to lose. So Moses got a couple of mates to prop his hands up. It's all there in Exodus chapter 17. What do you think young Joshua learned, his very first strategic mission as leader of an army, what did he learn by that experience? The need to pray... And and it's God himself who gives victory. This was not a human thing. When the hands were in the air to God, he was winning. What did Joshua learn? To trust in himself? No. To trust in the man of God who's lifting that situation to God in prayer. You can understand how important that was later on, can't you? When he went into the land of Canaan. When as we've been hearing week on, week out, it was not by their might and it was not by their strength, 
but it was by God's Spirit that they took the land. And so Joshua is being prepared. Another time, Moses goes to meet God face to face and he says to young Joshua, come with me, you must experience this. And then one of the most well-known examples is that Joshua was one of 12 spies when Joshua was 40, so 40 years before the crossing of the Jordan, when Joshua was 40, he was told with 11 others to go into the land and spy it out. And 10 came back and said, hey, the land's great, but there are giants in the land. I know how he felt. And then and Joshua and his mate Caleb came back and said, you might be right, there might be giants in the land, but our God's big enough. What a spirit. And Joshua, in those moments, as he walked back uh, to Moses, the leader, ten of them were saying, we can't do this, let's tell Moses that it's all off. Joshua and Caleb were saying, no, 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 there's something in our spirit that says, with God we can do this, with God we can do this. And there was a decision for Moses, sorry, a decision for Joshua. Would he toe the party line and go with the other ten? Or would he believe with all his heart what God was telling him and stick to it come what may? What if he'd made the wrong decision? He never would have become the leader, would he? that God had for him. God was getting him ready. And maybe Joshua thought that being Moses' assistant through the wilderness was ultimately God's plan for him. Maybe he'd resigned himself when he reached the age of 80, well, the best must be behind me now. I'm past it, surely. But God had other ideas. And how many times do we hear about that? People set off on one career and they do really well at it and they amass skills and develop gifts and they think at the time that what they are doing is it. They think it's the real thing only to discover that in God's plan what they were doing would turn out to be just the preparation for the greater thing that they are doing now. That was true for Joshua, wasn't it, surely? It was true for Moses too as he herded sheep in his middle years. He thought that was it. How little did he... No. And maybe God wants to say to some of us this morning that what you are doing now is only the preparation. It's only the getting ready. But if you can see with God's eyes, in God's agenda, there is more in his heart for you. Maybe that's why you're restless where you are. Because God is stirring something in you. He's calling you on. And as you look back over your life, however long that might be, a long or short, And we think about the gifts God has developed in us. We think about the experiences that he's given us. And we think about the lessons that we've learned. We ask ourselves this question. What has God been preparing me for? What's God been getting me ready for? And let's not stop asking that question until we've got a decent answer from heaven. If you want God to use you, then recognize what he's already done. Can't resist a plug for the ministry course. Ministry course will start in January, and if you're a church member and you've been on the uh, Discovering Spiritual Maturity course, then this one is the next one for you. And it'll be an opportunity for you to think about what God has already done to indicate what he wants to do more of in the future. So firstly then, Joshua knew God's preparation. Secondly, he knew God's presence. Joshua was a man who knew God, in whom is the Spirit. Numbers 27 verse 18 says. And it was just as well that Joshua knew God. Because God said to Joshua, this is the strategy when you enter the land. I will go before you, the Lord himself, and I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. The plan for Joshua was this. He had to stay close to God, do what God said, and it would all work out. He needed to know God's 
presence or he never would have made it. Your usefulness to God is directly related to how well you know him. Not only did God have to, Joshua have to know God once in, a, in the sense of a one-off meeting, but we know from chapter 1 that it was to be a daily encounter with the Word of God, sustaining his relationship with God day in and day out. The blight on Joshua's copybook, of course, was chapter 7, when they failed in their conquest of Ai and they got routed and the 36 men got killed. Why was it a failure? It was a failure because Joshua had left his, let his relationship with God drift. The Bible tells us that God was really angry. But Joshua was so far from God, he hadn't noticed that God was really angry. And when he was far from God, he was useless in God's purpose. And so we're as useful as our relationship is strong. That's why Jesus said, whatever you do, remain in me. Remain in the vine. Remain in relationship with me and you will bear much fruit. And who doesn't want to bear fruit in their lives? And if you don't, it's like a branch that just gets left to one side. But it's all about relationship. Joshua had some really profound experiences of God. One time we read of how Moses went up the mountain and Moses took Joshua with him and God came down, it says, the glory cloud. The glory cloud came down. What a moment to be as close to God as physically it was possible to be without being totally annihilated. He'd met with God. And maybe you think, well, I'd really like to meet with God like that. I'd really like to know his presence in that real kind of way. Then maybe I would be more useful to God. How come Joshua got to meet God like that? I don't know all the answers to that question. But there is a promise that's true. And maybe it was Joshua's heart that was the secret. Because Jeremiah would say to the people, speaking the Lord's words, you will seek me and find me. When? when you seek me with all of your heart. And maybe it was Joshua's heart, longing after God, that took him into God's presence, that made him so useful in God's purpose. If you want to be used by God, then there's no faster way than to get to know him better. And sometimes it's the wrong way around, isn't it? Sometimes we decide on something that we want to do, and it might even be a good thing. I'm sure it usually is a good thing. And we pray, Lord, give me your presence so that I might do A, B, and C. And here in Joshua, we're learning it's the other way around. God, give me your presence, and then I will know what A, B, and C should be. God's presence first. And it was out of this deep relationship with the living God that Joshua knew to, had a trust even when the chips were down. And then thirdly, and finally, Joshua knew God's people. He knew God's people. You see, we need each other to become what God wants us to be. Moses had a young aide, it says in Exodus, named Joshua. Joshua needed Moses. Joshua would never have been the Joshua we know if it hadn't been for Moses. Moses did two things for Joshua. 
Firstly, he spotted the potential in young Joshua. What was it about this young man that Moses, <clears throat> that Moses could see so that he would say to Joshua in Exodus 17, hey, you take an army and go and learn something about what it is to be on God's side as you take on the Amalekites. What was it that Moses saw? What potential did Moses see? And then the second thing Moses did, having spotted the potential in young Joshua, Moses went about developing it. Moses would say to John, come with me. I'm going up to the mountain now, come with me. I'm going into the tent to meet God, come with me. And so Moses' aide, Joshua, started following him around. And I'm sure the great leader that Moses was, Moses was seeing in Joshua in the early days things that Joshua was not even seeing yet in himself. And so Joshua became his apprentice, and the rest is history. Moses poured his own time, energy, and experience into developing Joshua's potential. And that, of course, is the model that Jesus used. Sure, he chose 12 to be his disciples, but then do you notice in the Gospels how he gathered another, uh, 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 another inner circle around him out of those 12? He gathered three, Peter, James, and John, in whom he invested extra time, extra energy, in whom he shared his heart and his experience at a greater level. To use a contemporary word, Jesus modelled, as did Moses, the mentoring relationship. And it runs right through the Bible. Jethro mentored Moses. Moses mentored Joshua. Joshua, reading these chapters, mentored the other army leaders. Deborah mentored Barak. Eli mentored Samuel. Samuel mentored Saul and David, who became Israel's greatest kings. Ahithophel and Nathan the prophet also mentored David. David mentored his army commanders and government officials and enabled them to establish the nation of Israel. David also mentored Solomon. Solomon mentored the queen of Sheba, who returned to her people with his wisdom that we call the Proverbs. Eli Elijah mentored Elisha. Elisha mentored King Jehoash and others. Daniel mentored Nebuchadnezzar, who humbled himself before God in that foreign land. Mordecai mentored Esther, and then Esther mentored King Artaxerxes, which was very significant because it resulted in the liberation of God's people. Jesus mentored the twelve, and in particular, those inner three who established the Christian church. The twelve went on and mentored other leaders, including Barnabas, who we know of as encourager. He mentored Paul. Paul then went on and mentored Timothy. Timothy, Titus, and many others. Timothy, it says, mentored other faithful men, such as Epaphras. Epaphras and the other faithful men, it says in 2 Timothy, went on and mentored others. Priscilla and Aquila mentored Apollos for, it says, a much improved ministry. So I'm asking you, who are you mentoring? Who are you mentoring? In whom have you spotted the potential of what God longs to do? And having spotted that potential, in whom are you pouring out your heart and your soul to help them come all that's in God's heart for them to be? In whom are you giving of your experience and your energy and your time and above all else, your faith to see God's potential rise in them? Why? Because they need it. They need it. And you need it too. We need others to do that for us, don't we? Hello? People to get alongside us and pour their heart into us. Spot the potential in us and do their level best to see us rise to God's purpose.
The most dangerous time in a relay race is when you're passing the baton on, is it not? It can easily be dropped. We need to be absolutely sure that we're passing the baton on in very solid ways to others. Who are you mentoring? Who are you mentoring? And then very lastly, Joshua needed the people of God in another sense too. Joshua could not have led uh, the people unless they recognised his leadership. And we know that they did. He could only lead if the people were willing to follow. As I say on the ministry course, the person who thinks he's leading but has nobody following him is simply taking a walk. And it's the same in all the gifts, with all the gifts. We need others to recognise the gifts in us and to encourage those gifts in us in order for us to exercise them in the community of God's people. Joshua was the only person who thought he was a leader. Nothing would have happened. And it's the same with every gift that God gives us. We need to recognise what God's giving to each other and encourage that potential in each one of us. So, Joshua, used by God, he knew God's preparation. What's God preparing you for? He knew God's presence. That surely must be our goal. And he knew God's people. He knew God's people. And so must we. We need one another to rise to become all that's in God's heart for us. Joshua used by God. What about you? What about you?